So I wonder if you heard in the news maybe a few weeks ago, um, there's a headline that caught my attention. It read, untrained passenger lands airplane after pilot passes out. Pretty scary stuff. Something nearly like a film, from a film, you know, the pilot passes out and, you know, the intercom goes, can anybody fly an airplane? Now, this guy, Darren Harrison, never flown a plane, plane before, but ended up in the driving seat. If you go online, you can listen to the audio um, of it. You hear the air traffic control, you know, chat to him. They want him, like, what's your altitude, what's your heading, things like that. And he just replies, I don't know. <laughs> I've never flown a plane before. I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, and... You know, credit to, to Darren and the air traffic control. They're all very calm. They're just like, don't worry, we'll tell you everything you need to know. All you have to do is just listen to what we say. Um, so Darren had to, he had to listen to the words of the air traffic control center. But he didn't have to just listen, because if he just listened and didn't do anything, they would just plum, you know, plummet to their deaths, really. <laughs> he had to put the words of the air traffic control into practice in order to bring the plane home safely to land it. And for any, any of you that have read the story, they do land safely, and the pilot and everyone was okay. Quite remarkable. Um, she had Darren flew the plane, trusting in the word of the flight controller. He had faith in the flight controller, but he exercised that faith through his obedience to obey the flight controller's commands to do whatever it was he was telling him how to fly the plane. Um, so he exercises his faith in obedience. Because obedience is produced by faith. Because a lot of time when we, when we read the Bible, um, a lot of the time we don't see into people's minds, we don't you know, see into their hearts, but we see their actions. We see how they respond to different situations, how their, faith, how their faith in God helps them respond, and they usually respond in, in obedience. But at this bit of the Bible, we don't see humanity acting in obedience. We've just had the Tower of Babel where humanity have just rebelled against God. And so humanity is in, just, is in a dead state spiritually. Only a few chapters ago, we had characters like Noah, Enoch, or Seth. These are people who called on the name of the Lord. And we're only in chapter 11, but we don't find that. Um, we get introduced to their descendants, to, um, it says now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram. Nahor and Haran, and Haran followed Lot. We get introduced to this family, to Terah and his sons, but they're not like their predecessors. They are not calling on the name of the Lord. No, when we zero in on Abram and his family, we don't find a God-fearing family, but a pagan one. Um, we see them living in a place called Ur, which is roughly, um, roughly where Baghdad is today. Um, it was a bit of a, it was a big city, a bit of a metropolis. Um, one thing that was special, special about Ur was that it, it worshipped the moon god. There would have been different celebrations or festivals to it throughout the city, throughout the land, throughout the year. Um, and Abram and his family were pagans in the city, like them. We read elsewhere in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, He's, he says, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, um, which is kind of out this way where Ur is, um, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. 
So Abraham and his family, actually, they don't look any different from the rest of humanity. They, like the rest of humanity, are spiritually dead to God. So you kind of think, you know, we've had promises to Noah, to Adam, we've had the Tower of Babel. How are God's promises going to come about? We just have a pagan family living in a pagan city. But into the spiritual darkness, God, he speaks light. Just like he did in Genesis 1. Um, we see the first words of chapter 12. Um, it says, the Lord had said. So Abram has nothing inherently special about him. We know that Abram is living in a pagan city with a pagan family. He is not seeking God. No, it's God that seeks Abraham. In this case, it's God who takes the initiative to borrow Paul's phrase in the Ephesians, Abraham is dead in his trespasses and sins. And it is God being rich in mercy is going to make him alive. Abraham, he's going to show Abraham his grace and produce faith in him. What we witness at the start of chapter 12 is Abraham's conversion, if you will. It is his Damascus Road moment, the moment where God shows up and turns the lights on in his heart. God has revealed himself to Abraham. So suddenly this is no moon deity Abraham is dealing with anymore, but the God of all creation, and one that comes with authority. Because um, you notice in the text that God, he doesn't just reveal himself to Abraham, he doesn't just give Abraham the knowledge of who he is and say, I'm God, this is, you know, I'm the God of creation, and leave him like that. He doesn't just, as we think, he doesn't just save Abraham. Yes, he does reveal himself to him, but then God also calls Abraham to obedience. Much like in our Christian life, yes, we put our faith in God, but when we become Christians, then we also, like Abraham, get called to obedience, get called to certain commands. So let's look at what God, what does he call Abraham to? Um, what instructions does he give Abraham um, look at the first word that he says to Abraham in verse 1 there. First word God says to Abraham is leave. Leave your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. The first word God speaks to Abraham is the word leave. So God's word comes to Abraham with authority. There's no room for interpretation on Abraham's side. Um, it's direct, it's clear. And with authority. If you read the ESV, it, the word is just go, or um, quite like how the King James Version translate, translates it as get thee out. It's just, there's no room for Abraham to bargain with God. It is not God saying, Abraham, if it suits you, or Abraham, I would like you to go to this place. No. God speaks, Abraham has to listen. It is leave your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. This is a difficult command for Abraham to follow. I mean, I don't know very much about Ur or Haran, wherever Abraham is when he gets this command where he lives, but I'm willing to bet that hearing from God to leave your country, your family, your people, and go to this land that you don't even know where it is would be quite strange. I imagine Abraham telling his friends and his family about, about this experience with God. You know, imagine them saying, you're, go you're going, you're doing what? You're leaving? Where are you going? You don't even know. You know, what's this land? What's it going to be like? You have no idea. This is, you know, 
they must have thought it was crazy. Um, Abraham's going to leave his family. He may not even see them again. He's leaving everything he knows behind. This is a really difficult command. Um, I was thinking of an example of how this command is maybe, we could get a modern day example, and the only thing I could think of was the early missionaries to Africa. Um, because some people do get the command to go and leave their country and go to somewhere that they don't know, and you know, just to follow God and trust God. Um, the early missionaries to Africa, when they got on the boats, they very well knew that they probably would never see their family again or their country again. The nickname for the, the boats the early missionaries got on were called coffin ships because they knew, knew the only way they would come back would be in a coffin. In a way, that is an, kind of an example of what Abraham is doing. He's going somewhere and he doesn't know if he'll ever return. He doesn't even know where he's going. It's a really difficult command. But it's strange how specific God is in telling Abraham what he's going to leave compared to what he's going to. He says, go from your country, your, kin, your people, and your father's household. Country, people, and family. These are the pillars of identity that make Abraham who he is. You know, if we look in chapter 11, how Abraham is introduced to us, he's introduced in relation to his family. You know, it's not, this is a guy, Abraham, living in Ur. It's no Terah followed Abraham, and then he's introduced with his brothers as well. You know, Abraham is leaving really his very identity. But as we see, God doesn't just leave Abraham with commands. He also gives him promises. God makes four promises to Abraham. He promises him a place, a people, a presence, and a purpose. So a place, as you'll see. He promises, he says to the land, I will show you. God's first promise to Abraham is that he will leave, that he will give him a land. Abraham is leaving his land, but God is going to give Abraham a land as long as Abraham acts in faith and obedience. A people. Abraham has been called to leave his people, to leave his family behind, to leave his identity behind, like we said, to leave his name behind, his reputation, to go somewhere where nobody knows him, where there's no family connection, to move somewhere where he's going to be a stranger. But as we see in verse 2, what does God promise? He says, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great. God is going to give Abraham a new family. A family that will come from him. God's promises to Abraham are greater than what he's leaving behind. He's leaving behind his family, but God is going to give him a nation. But he's also going to make his name great. The life, the reputation that Abraham has and leaves behind, God is going to restore and make greater through these promises. God's promise, he also promises his presence to Abraham in his life. He says, and I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Which probably sounds quite strange to us in the 21st century, but you know, cursing and blessing. Um, but God is basically saying that I will work for you, Abraham. I will go before you. For those that are for you, I will work for. And those who are against you, I will work against. I will be on your side, Abraham. I will fight for you. Um, Paul kind of captures this idea in Romans when he says, if God is for us, who can stand against us? 
God is standing for Abram through this promise. Um, I would argue this promise is, is the reason Abraham obeys. It's why he goes. It's because God has promised that he'll be with him. I would also argue this is the, one of the main promises of the Bible, that God will be with his people. It's a promise that we see again and again, and a picture that we get through the tabernacle, through the temple of God dwelling with his people. And ultimately, this promise reaches its culmination, its fulfillment in the birth of Jesus, the presence of Emmanuel on this earth, and Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God has promised his presence in Abraham's life. But this presence has a, has a function for Abraham and for his offspring because God will be with Abraham so that he can fulfill a purpose. You know, we read, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So what does God want for Abraham and his family? It's not just for Abraham to have the presence of God, to, you know, for the people of God to be in the place of God, but is that they live out the purposes of God and that they invite the neighbors, those that don't know God, into that purpose, that the nations around them, that their neighbors will be, will be blessed by the presence of Abraham and his offspring and be invited in to know this presence of God as well, so they'll come to know God and his blessing and presence ultimately as the ultimate blessing. And obviously, it talks about how all nations of the earth will be blessed. And obviously, again, that reaches its fulfillment in Jesus, who is the blessing to the nations and who, through whom all nations are blessed. And in a way, we are a picture of, of that today, as I know none of us are ethnic Jews, I would say. We are the picture, we are the, the blessing of the nations has come to us. So Abraham, he's heard the word of God. He's listened to the challenges God has presented him with, but he's also listened to the promises that God has laid out to him. So what does Abraham do? Very simply, he obeys. There doesn't seem to be any hint of delay in the passage. Abraham doesn't worry or weigh up the options. It just says in verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Here we see Abraham's faith in God. God has called him something to, he has called him to do something difficult, something that is uncertain, unclear, that will change his life forever. And Abram trusts him to follow his commands. He trusts his heavenly father at his word. And um, when Jesus talks to his disciples about you know, becoming like a, like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but having faith, childlike faith, I think this is a great picture of that. Abraham just, he just obeys God in a similar, like in a way a child obeys their parents. A child obeys their, their parent, their mum or dad, precisely because it is their, their mum or dad. Um, I'm sure we all heard it as children. Stay away from the fire. Don't go near that busy road or some of us may have heard this more than often. Go to your room. Why as children did we obey? Maybe because of the consequences. <laughs> um, no, a child will obey their parent, not because the words have any intrinsic value, but it's because it is their parent that is saying it. It is that relationship, that relationship of authority, but 
that relationship that creates the obedience in the child. So like Abraham in this passage, it's not that he understands what God has said. It's not that he's weighed up the implications that these, these challenges, these promises have in his life and that he's worked it all out. No, it's that Abraham trusts in God. He trusts in God's word because it is God's word. It is the word from the, the God of all creation. Um, Abraham has a high view of who God is. So he has a high view of God's word. Let's ask ourselves, do we have a high view of God's word? And if we do or don't, do we have a high view of God? Do we respect this as God's word? Because it is God's word, as word from the Lord. Let's just quickly remember that we, we have a lot more Bible than what Abraham had. We have pages and pages of how God has revealed himself through, through this. You know, we see God, how he parts the Red Sea, how he saves his people again and again. We see Isaiah's vision of the heavenly places where God is holy, holy, holy. We peel back the, the curtain in heaven in Revelation and see God ruling and reigning on his heavenly throne. And we see him coming back in all his glory and splendor. And ultimately, we see the person of Jesus, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament, promises all coming um, true. We have a lot more of God's revelation than Abraham had. So, like I said, do we have a high view of God's word? Because God's word, it reveals the power of God, the majesty of God, the supreme authority that he, that he has. You know, we think about how this God's commands to Abraham comes with authority. Well, this book, the, the Bible, the word of God, has supreme authority for our lives. And we as Christians, surely we need to have an, at least an accurate view of who God is from what the Bible says. If, it is, if God is as great and as majestic and as loving and as tender as the Bible says he is, surely we as Christians need an accurate view of that, in, even in order to have an accurate view of everything else. Um, so Abraham obeys. We see Abraham's obedience is, is quick. Uh, his initial obedience is quick. Um, there's a lot of things he has to do. He's quite, there's an active element to Abraham's initial obedience. Because I'm sure Abraham kind of, you know, he has to leave and basically cart his family halfway across the country. He has to gather things up. He has to maybe sell things he doesn't need. He maybe has to convince his wife that they have to go all this way because God says. Um, and then he has to actually physically travel all the way to Canaan, to the land that God chose him. Um, so, you know, sometimes with obedience, there is an active element involved, that there are things to do that are, you know, things to do to obey God. Um, and Abraham, he travels all this way to Canaan, and he gets there, and we read in verse 6, and it says, the Canaanites were in the land. Abraham's traveled all this way, and he doesn't have the land to himself. There are already people there. You know, you can imagine him going and saying, right, this is the land God has made for me, and it's 
full of these, this family, you know, the Canaanites, these people, and they have control of the land, not Abram. So if you're Abram, maybe now you're thinking, how are the promises of God going to take hold? You know, God has promised me this land, this people. He's got, we've got all these promises, and we've got here, and I don't maybe see how they're going to work out. You know, maybe doubts creep in. I've left my home, my family, and traveled all this way. You know, how is this going to work out? You know, initially Abraham has obeyed and moved all this way, but this is where Abraham needs continued obedience to the word of God. But the Lord helps Abraham with this. He appears to Abraham and reinforces what he says. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. The Lord comforts Abram through any doubts he may have had by continuing to remind him of the promises he has given him. He continues to remind him that though the Canaanites are here in this land, though there are people in this land, he's just reiterating the promises to your offspring, they will get this land. Um, and like Abram, we need continuous reminders of God's word and the promises to us. We as Christians, we need to live in the Bible. We need to see in the Bible the promises of God again and again and again. To live a life of continuous obedience to God, we need reminded of these promises every day. We need the power of the gospel preached to our souls regularly because we, as, human, as sinful human beings, far too easily forget the promises of God when times get tough. We need to read them again and again to instill on our hearts and our, on our minds. Um, if you've ever, ever read the book, The Silver Chair, um, one of the Narnian books by C.S. Lewis, at the start of the book, Aslan, who is kind of the God, the Christ character in the book, is talking to the two characters, Jill and Eustace. And they're going to go on this journey. And he gives them these instructions. And as, giving them, as he gives them instructions, he gives it to them as a poem. And he tells them, repeat it every day when you lie down, when you get up. Because these instructions are important. They're going to guide you on your path. If you don't want your journey to be perilous, to be safe, you need to repeat these. So Jill and Eustace, they go on their little journey and the first few days they're repeating this poem to remind them of Aslan's words but as the weeks and the months go on they forget the words they forget to repeat the poem and they forget the words entirely and they forget the words and the perils and the dangers come and basically they get in a bad situation and then they remember the words the instructions Aslan said and it's only when they remember these instructions these commands of Aslan that are they able to navigate through the dangers of the world that they face and navigate through the tough times. Um, so we as Christians, we need this. We need God's word to help us navigate the tough times. We need to repeat it again and again to remind us of the promises God has for us, like Abraham. Abraham's living in this land. He needs continued obedience he needs to remember the promises of God now initially Abraham to obey God had to do things he had to move his family he had to, you know there's an active element to it now he's in the land now he's kind of just waiting for the promises to take hold there's no nothing for him really to do so it's more of a of a passive thing 
something I would argue would be maybe a more difficult way to obey God's word. Um, and as we will find out in the coming weeks, this, you know, obedience, to Abraham's obedience to God, he doesn't always find it easy. There's sometimes through the story of Abraham where we think, has he forgotten all the promises God has made to him? You know, we sometimes think, what is he doing? You know, which is an encouragement for us in our Christian lives that, you know, you know, we do we do mess up, we do forget God's promises, but we do find that Abraham he comes back, he does act in faith, that faith is exercised in obedience as he comes back to the promises God makes to him. So Abraham needs continued obedience. Continued obedience to live in this land with these promises God's given him. Um, this is a, this is a type of obedience that challenges me. Um, I find if you know there are active things in God's word that you can obey. You know things like how we control our money, how we treat our family, things that require action that maybe I find easier than maybe these more passive forms of obedience. Um, you know, um, some examples like continuing to trust God that he's sovereign over my life, you know, especially when things maybe aren't going maybe how I thought it would be or, you know, when difficulties arise, do we have that continued obedience to trust that God is in control? Or to continue to pray for unbelieving friends or family members. When you, you know, you've been praying for them for a long time, you may be thinking, you know, are, you know, are they going to, will God, work in their lives maybe it seems unlikely do we have that continued obedience to continue that or maybe continued obedience to to believe that death sin and disease will one day be vanquished and that God will come back and rule and to reign even though that when we watch the news at the moment all we seem to see is sin death and disease you know we need continued obedience to the word of God um, you know, after all, isn't this how Hebrews describes faith? Faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You know, we might not be able to, we, well, we can see the word of God, but we may not be able to see how it's, how the promises of God are impact or in our lives. But it's by faith that we believe it. It's by faith that we exercise our faith by obedience to it. Um, God as we can see, he's called Abraham out of darkness into light. Abraham has put his faith in God. He's obeyed his word. Abraham is in the land. He's waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled. We're like Abraham. If we're Christians, we've been called out of darkness into light. We've put our faith in God. And we've been called to obedience. To obedience to the word of God. Which isn't always easy. There are things in the Bible that that are commands nearly impossible commands to obey like be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect um pray without ceasing you know to, to name a few but we shouldn't um neglect that these are commands that we as christians are called to do obviously that's a, maybe another topic to talk about of how these commands actually take hold of our lives but we are called to obedience and we are also waiting for the for promise of God to be fulfilled. Yes, Christ has come and fulfilled a lot. He is the fulfillment of a lot of the promises of God. But we are waiting for Christ to return, to rule and to reign in this world with redeemed humanity. And until that time, we wait in obedience. We, like 
Abraham were living like exiles in the land, waiting for the promises to, to take hold. Um, but our faith, our faith in God is exercised through our obedience. And it is on the word of God, but not because it is just a, a word of God. It is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. May we have a high view of who you are and a high view of your word. Give us the strength, help the Holy Spirit, just help us to obey this word. Help us to exercise the faith we have through obedience, Lord. Um, Like Abraham, may our faith produce active and continued obedience. Amen.